So God, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, so last week, we kind of began to intro this whole 10-verse section of John's letter in chapter 2. And what I said was we had to take all 10 verses and we kind of have to deal with them as a whole because there's a very common thread. They all kind of inter, intertwine each other and they speak to the same thing. And it's important for us to understand what is going on in these 10 verses. Because I believe not only is it a message for the church that John was writing to, but it's a message for us, the church today. And I, I think for order, in order for us to get the, the, the fullest understanding and not staying in church for an entire day, what I said was we're going to have to break up those 10 verses and unpack them in, in kind of sections. And, and I believe this way it'll help us just kind of absorb what's trying to be said. Now, last week, as we introed these few verses, we wrestled with this phrase, um, this is the last hour, and this term that John uses, and John's the only one that uses, the term Antichrist. Now, it's very important as a community of faith, we understand what these things mean. So let me just kind of say this. As a Christian, and as a Christian that belongs to a community, we enter into a fight. As soon as you begin to follow Jesus Christ, you are, whether you like it or not, you are now in a fight. It's a spiritual fight. It's not against flesh and blood, which makes it all a little, it makes it even more kind of, you know, but because our enemy, our enemy is in the spirit, in the spiritual realm. Yes, those things manifest themselves in the physical, but we're fighting against powers and principalities of this dark world, not in the physical and then these last days, and I believe we're in the last days, not because Jesus is coming back two weeks from Thursday, but because since he rose from the dead, we have been in the last days. And we don't know when he's coming back, but we can rest assured that he will be back. And in these last days, we have to stand firm and understand that there are antichrists that come against the church even today because an antichrist is just somebody who denies that Jesus is Messiah. It's as simple as that, and it's as profound as that. To deny Jesus is the Christ, is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, the two verses I want to look at this morning as we press on, as I kind of looked at them and kind of read through them and kind of studied on them, I want to push these verses and unpack them a little bit deeper than just kind of what's on the surface or what may just be, I don't know, this is my thought process this week, and I even confused myself a few times, so just, just bear with me. But, but I believe what God is telling us is, is there's this message for the church that is very important, and it was important in John's day, yes, but even now, especially the Western church, I believe it's very, very important for us to just kind of pay attention to these couple verses and what are being said. So Maureen, would you put those up there? This is 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 19. And we've looked at these yesterday. We read the whole thing. But here's where we're going to land today. It says this. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, 
Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. There's a theme that runs through the New Testament. There's a theme that runs through John's letter. There's a theme that runs through uh, human history. And that theme is that there are difficult times that we experience as people in humanity. There's a lot of brokenness in the world. There's a lot of hurt that takes place. Just watch the news for any amount of time. Things seem to be pretty messed up right now. And they were messed up in John's day. And they are kind of remain messed up today. And, and as you kind of hear all of these things and, and the world is kind of doing what the world is doing. Because we know that John wrote earlier that the world is under the control of the evil one. And so all of these things are taking place. I believe what we hear today is that the church is on a decline. That the church is, is, is kind of falling apart. That Christianity isn't the hip and cool thing to do anymore. Now, I don't, I'm not really sure if it was ever hip and cool to do. But, but it seems to be dwindling. The numbers seem to be going down. People are leaving the church and not coming back. And we hear this over and over and over again. And there's been books and books written and articles written on why people are leaving and who, who are leaving and why new people won't come to the church. And, and we're losing this entire generation. These are the things that have been written about Christianity. And these are the things that are being written about the church. Now, for some of you who have been around church many, many, many years, you might remember a time where that was a little different. Maybe you remember a time when, when Sunday morning, man, church was the thing to do. Everybody went to church on Sunday morning, and they were, they were filled to capacity. But not so much anymore, especially in New England. New England, you know, they have that, that, um, that term for us, you know, the frozen chosen. And so in New England, we, see, we do see a decline in a church attendance. And there's many different reasons for it. I, I mean, there, you, can, you can ask people why they don't go, and there's a lot of different reasons. They, they don't like organized religion, or they don't like church, or they don't, they don't like God, or they don't need a community, or they're just too lazy to get up on Sunday morning. Church is so early, 10, 15, oy vey, it's just much too early to get up. Or, you know, they, they don't need a community. They don't need to go to church to believe in God. And maybe, maybe they don't go because they're not getting anything out of it. They're not getting what they think they should get out of church. And so there's this cultural perspective of those people who don't attend church that really there's nothing here for them. And then as that perspective um, evolves, we see that Christianity itself can come under some attack. That we're all just a bunch of intolerant hypocrite, hypocrites and we're, we're exclusive with this only one way towards God thing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you've heard them all again. And sometimes those people, they're absolutely right. Because, um, you know what? We seem, we come across, some of us, very intolerant. And we come across as hypocrites. And sometimes we, we are exclusive. Jesus is the way. We believe the only way to God. That's very exclusive. But we don't, we don't have the corner on exclusivity or intolerance or hypocrisy. 
I bet you we can go through many of the world religions and find all of them. All of those things in there. But we kind of take this on the chin, this idea. We're all painted with the same brush stroke. I mean, if there weren't any hypocrites in the church, Jesus wasted his time. We're hypocrites, but we've been saved by grace. That doesn't give us the right, but just shows our fallen nature. And so as this thing kind of unfolds in the church, nobody wants to come. Culturally, nobody wants to come. And and then we kind of get picked on a little bit. The people that are in the church can become a little disparaging. There's this mood of like, ugh, you know, we're, we're losing ground. Other world religions are growing much faster than Christianity. What are we going to do? What is the world going to look like if the church no longer exists? What does the, what does the future hold for Christianity? What does the future hold for the church? Can we, can we possibly go on? And then we get into this panic mode. And panic mode says, we got to do something, man. We got to do something right now. We got to save this thing. We got to save the church. We have to, we have to get people in. We can't just close the doors. Thousands of churches every year close the doors. What are we going to do? Look at the numbers. We're in decline. We begin to panic. And there's entire books written out of panic about how we can fix this sinking ship. Look at the barometer of morality in our culture. Oh my goodness, there was a time when Lucy and Ricky couldn't even sleep in the same bed. Now look at us. We've come a long way, baby. What would happen if the church disappeared? And there's a real fear in Christians today, in churches today. But John tells us, okay, folks, listen, don't get all worked up about this. And for Pete's sake, don't be surprised. Look what he says in verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard, they know. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many have come. He's telling the church, why are you surprised? You know this is the way it happens. You know this is the way this all goes down. This is the way it's supposed to happen. This should be nothing new to you. I would say this, that if you're all freaked out about what's happening in the culture and what's happening in the church today, you don't read your Bible very often. You've missed the point. The scriptures tell us this this is exactly the way it fleshes itself out. This is exactly the way it's supposed to happen. And so it should not be a surprise to us. None of this should be a surprise. And John says, you you know that the Antichrist is coming. You know that people will come who deny Jesus is Messiah. You know it. You heard it. And yet there's still people here among us that, that, that that believe that. There is not one single place in the Bible... And, and you can email me Monday if, if I'm wrong, and I'll, I'll actually read that email if you're nice. Um, but there's not one single place in the Bible that says the church is going to grow and grow and grow and grow. And then one day, the entire world, seven billion people, they're all going to be in church on Sunday morning. And we're going to have this Christian utopian society, and it's going to be amazing. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. 
if you spend time in the scriptures, if you spend time reading these letters, these epistles, if you spend time in the books of in the book of Acts, what it's going to tell you is this. You have entered into a fight and there is an enemy that is going to come out and it is out and he's going to come out swinging and he's looking for a knockout in the first rounds. Our enemy prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. That's what the scriptures will tell us. And to think that the church is going to grow to infinity and beyond is just, it's, it's a prideful, humanistic, false philosophy that is within the church. Now, now, now stay with me. I know I'm freaking some of you out, but that's okay. Because we are going somewhere. At the beginning of this series, I said that the Bible proves all that's taking, the, the, all that's taking place in the world is proof of what the Bible says. John says it again here. All that's taking place in the world and in the church is proof, confirmation of what the Bible says. And so we should not be surprised. Christian, we should not be surprised at what's taking place in the world or in the church. Are you, are you on the same wavelength? We should not be surprised. There's the story in John, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells this parable about justice. And, and he says that, that God will bring justice to his people. But then he says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? See, God knows that this is going down. This is, he's not like, Jesus, this is getting out of control here. What are we going to do? He knows it. He is sovereign over all of this. So what am I getting at? It's a great question. What is John getting at here? What am I trying to unpack? How am I taking this a little deeper? As I read this verse, these verses, as I, as I read the whole section of, of chapter 18 through, or I'm sorry, chapter 2, 18 through 28, the focus of this is about the truth. The focus of this is about, if I could use a theological term, doctrinal truth. John is not concerned about how many people are leaving the church. John is not concerned about if the church is growing or if it's getting bigger. He's not concerned about the kind of music that's being played or the carpet color or, or the, the curtain color or where people are parking their camels outside. He doesn't care about those things. What he is concerned about is the truth because he's writing to a church where there are antichrists in that church. Remember, people that are denying that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's coming against this false teaching. They have all these weird, crazy ideas about who Jesus was. And they're denying Christ. And by denying Christ, they deny the Father. They deny the Trinity. They, are, they have left the truth. And this is what John is addressing. He is more concerned about what people believe and know and what they're following than anything else. The truth. The truth of who Christ is. And I know that it's, it's so easy and it's such a temptation for the church today to get caught up in, in the numbers. To look at how many people are coming. To look at the organization. Is the organization growing? Is it, is it doing well? And it's just part of our, it's part of our sinful condition, the, the sinful state of man. Especially for pastors and for church leaders. We get caught up, this, up, up, up in this 
constantly. There's books and podcasts and, and articles about how to grow your church numerically, how to get people in, how to make it bigger, how to make it better, get people in the door, make them stick, how to treat them, what to offer them. You don't call somebody that's the first time that comes first time in your church. You don't call them a visitor. You call them a guest, man. That's church growth 101 right there. That's a mistake. We just don't make, you can't make that because people go away as feeling like a visitor, not a welcome guest into our home. You don't know how many emails I get around Easter telling me how I can maximize the effect of our Easter service. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit do that. I mean, myself, I mean, I'm not a very creative guy. We just threw people in a pool on Easter. That's about as, as creative as we get. How many emails that I've gotten? I, there's, there's, there's ministries right in Connecticut that, that, that will help me. They're addressed to, dear Pastor Dennis, they know me. And they're willing to come alongside me and help me break the attendance barrier of 100. And then 150. Then the dreaded 200. And then, oh my goodness, if, if you qualify, maybe we can get you over 250. And now your church is, now your church is making a, a footprint in the world. See, we as pastors, we're told that healthy things grow. Not only in maturity... But in, in size, and in church world, size equates to numbers. How many people do you got going to your church? When, you, when pastors get together that don't know each other, the first thing they ask you is, where'd you go to school? The second thing is, how many people you got in your church? And my answer is, every one of them. <laughs> and they, come, they come every Sunday morning. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I get it. I mean, I, I get caught up in those things too. I, I, I get it. There's a church in town here that's, that's building a brand new building and I drive by and there's a little coveting going on. I, I must admit, like a new building with, I can see where the office space is going and I, sometimes I daydream of having an office that doesn't have a sheet metal shop underneath and there's not banging and hammering all day long and, and, and I think how... I deserve an office without a sheet metal shop underneath. I mean, that's what I'm thinking, but I get it. I get being caught up into this thing. And when I do, I go to the Lord and I repent because I know that's not, that's not what's important. And I have to bring myself back to the scriptures. And I have to bring myself back to the truth. The truth of who Christ is. Because in the Bible, you will not find one single verse, story, philosophy, plan about church growth. The only thing that I see in there possibly that might be a plan is the Holy Spirit added to their numbers. And if I think I'm going to manipulate the Holy Spirit by having some fancy-dancy things around here, um, I think I'm just dumb. But there's an encouragement in the Bible. Throughout the New Testament, this encouragement to stay in the truth of the gospel, to stay rooted in the truth, 
of the gospel. And so as all of this stuff flies around us and as, oh, we get this bad name and we're hypocrites and blah, blah, blah. Nobody wants to come to church anymore. Well, some people want to come and that's awesome. But, but you know, and, you know, we're losing, the, you know, and, 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 and I got to thinking about this whole thing. What happens one day if the church gets pushed underground? I mean, maybe not literally because it's not against the law to be a Christian, but, but there is a little heat that we Christians feel. What if one day we, we do get pushed underground? Are, are we ready for that? I think in part it's our own fault because there are many, many doofus-esque Christians out there that deserve to be pushed underground or at least boinked in the eye in the name of Jesus. That's just me. But, But what if? I mean, it's a worthy thing to think about. And so the question is, is the church really fighting for its life? Is the church fighting for its life? Some would say yes. I do believe in New England it's not, uh, it's not popular to be a biblically Christ-centered person. And it's probably not popular to belong to a community that is biblically Christ-centered. And so, yeah, numbers, numbers are down in the church. They are. And uh, people are leaving because, you know, for, for, many, for many different reasons. Communities are closing their doors. There's actually a movement now that's, that says, listen, if you call yourself Christian, if you are a Christian church, it doesn't matter what you believe. We just need to kind of huddle together and we need to kind of make a stand. We got to get together and figure this thing out or we're going to be without a job. We're going to be without a community. And here's, here's something that I'm learning in my own walk as, as a pastor. It's better to have a few people who are committed to the pursuit of Jesus Christ, believing in the truth of who he is, fully God, fully man. He went to the cross for us. And just just everything that whole truth of Christ encompasses, it's better to have a few people than a megachurch filled with people who just either don't care or are unsure or are on the fence. The truth of the gospel has to always remain at the foundation, at the center of any Christian church. And it has to remain at the center of our church. You see, unity in the spirit only comes in the context of of the truth. We're talking the Holy Spirit here. Not the spirit of the tree, the spirit of the crow, the spirit of the flower. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. The unity of the spirit only comes in the context of truth. It comes when there's people in churches who stand firm in the belief that Jesus is the Christ. And then the Holy Spirit can work and bring unity. Now we pastors, we mess it all up. Why? Because we go back to the numbers game. We don't want to lose people. If, if you like them better than me, you've just... You've just spanked my ego a little bit. And so we get caught up in the numbers game. And, you know, we don't want to share people and, and, and do that kind of things. But unity of the spirit comes when we are unified in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Period. Period. And so John says, don't be surprised at all this that's happening. You heard that the Antichrist is coming. In fact, he's here. There's been many and there will be many more who will deny the truth of Jesus. And then he continues on, verse 19. He says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that no, that none of them belonged to us. I love the way he writes, because if you read that, it's just confusing. Like, John, there's a much better way to write that. I, I, I'm just thinking. Even in the Greek, here's where I would write it. 
This is the way I would say it. Just because you say you're a Christian and you go to church doesn't mean that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. See, isn't that much better than the Bible? I mean, that's pretty much what he's saying. That's, that's the crux of it. Just because you say you're a Christian and just because you go to church doesn't necessarily mean you are a follower of Jesus Christ. These people were part of the church. They joined the church. They had friends in the church. They claimed to be Christian. But then they got their own agenda. They started to teach their own things separate from the truth of what the gospel is. And then they leave. And John says, you see, they, their going showed that they never belonged to us. They said they were, but they really weren't. And that theme runs through the entire New Testament. You can really, you can look good on the outside. You can, you can say all the right things. You can regurgitate chapter and verse. And you can raise your hands in worship. But you can be miles away, miles away from being a Jesus follower. Even in those times, you know, those times in history, in, in the history of the church, when they were filled, when all the seats were filled, can we assume that everyone there was a true follower of Jesus Christ? No. When the seeker-sensitive movement kind of reached its height and we decided, the church decided, we need to take church out of church and then lots of people will come. Can we assume that all those people believed in the truth? No. When the, when the, when the postmodern movement hit a few years ago, and, and all, it was all about, we're not going to make, we're not going to answer the question. The, the answer to the question is the question. We're just going to ask all kinds of questions. And people, young people flocked to those. Can we say that they were committed to the truth of Jesus Christ? No. And now we have the, the reform movement, and I'm going to pick on them, but, but I love them because they'll come out and say, listen, most of you probably aren't Christian. And they just, they're right in your face about it. And so we, just because people are flocking to churches, some churches does not necessarily mean they are Christian. I, uh, I have a, some friends down south who are pastors, and they say the biggest challenge for a pastor in the south is to get the church people, these are people that go to church, to get the church people to understand that they really need Jesus. It's cultural down there. You can go out Saturday night, get drunk, beat your wife, kick your dog, smash the car, and come to church and praise Jesus on Sunday morning. And that's cool. The biggest thing for them is to, to get people to realize that they need Jesus. And so it's very important for us, church, it's very important for us that we examine our own motive, our own interior life. What's going on inside? Do we believe the truth of the gospel? Do we believe the truth of who Jesus Christ is? Are we grounded in that truth? Is it our foundation? In verse 19, you know, I, I started to... Um, really wrestle with some of the things that that, that, that whole thing kind of infers. Um, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. So, so they're talking about in the context of church, okay, the community. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, if they really belonged to the community, they would have remained with the community. But their going showed that none of them belonged to the community. 
And, and so, you know, as I was kind of pressing into this and, and trying, to, trying to bring it to, to us today and also to understand where John was writing from in, in the context of what was happening in the church back then, um, this is kind of where I, I've kind of landed on. And this is nothing new. I've said this a million times, that Christianity is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. We, we need each other. As, as, as a faith community. We, we need each other. It's a vital part of our spiritual journey to be in community with the church. It is a vital part of our spiritual community to be in union with the gathered saints. And, and, and look around. Don't you a fine-looking bunch of saints that are gathered here this morning? It's important for us to be together. It, it, not just randomly showing up on a Sunday morning or you got your name on a list or your phone number in the directory. I'm talking about offering life and I'm talking about receiving life in the context of community. I'm talking about understanding that, that these, these are your people and they belong to you and you belong to them. You're part of a family and there's, there's safety in family. In a healthy family, there's safety. And, and, and that's, what, that's what we should feel like here. That's what it should feel like to, to go to church, to be with the brothers and the sisters. And so as we see this, this drifting away, it says that, that they, they've gone, they've left. As we see this, this dwindling down of church worlds, could it be part of God's plan? I mean, God is sovereign, He's, he's not worried that uh, he's not going to be able to pay the bills next month because the tithe hasn't come in. It, it doesn't concern him. You see, when we go to the scriptures and we look at this idea in the Bible over and over again, there are many stories where God thins out the herd. Think of the story of Gideon. Thousands. God dwindles it down to 300. Gideon thinks he's a little whacked, but he goes for it. And then there's, there's a story that John himself writes in chapter 6 of his gospel. Jesus is preaching and he's teaching and all these people around him, could be thousands of people around him, he lays out this really difficult teaching. He says, you know, you, you got to eat my body, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people get freaked out. They're like, who could accept such a teaching? And they all start to leave. They all start to drift away. Jesus has this great big church and now his church growth strategy is to make it smaller and people start to leave and they start to walk away and it gets to the point where he says to the boys, the disciples, you guys going too? Are you leaving too? Over and over again, we see God thinning the church, thinning out those who would really believe and those who just give lip service to the gospel. Those that just come to the church or come and be part of a community because they want to get something. Maybe they want their ego stroked. Maybe they want to lead and nobody else will let them lead somewhere. Maybe they just, they just want stuff. They want to be heard. They want to constantly receive and take and get and receive and take and get. What if today the church is being sifted and purified? Man, it's a worthy question to wrestle with. Like, like these people left and John's like, oh, oh no, people left the church. I'm sure in, in, in his own way, he probably laid out there, well, don't let the door hit him. And you know the rest. 
I tried that once in church already, and I mean, saying that. But here's what this doesn't mean for us. This does not give us the right to become lazy Christians. This does not give us the right to become introverted and just to look on the inside. This does not give us the right to stop sharing the life and the light of Christ with all people. Anyone who would listen, share the light and the life of Christ. This doesn't mean that we stop welcoming people into this room who maybe don't believe. Or maybe they're just trying to kick the tires and figure this thing out. Maybe, maybe they're just wrestling with something and they're just not sure. We welcome those people into this place. We give them a safe place to ask those questions, to say, I don't believe. Don't get all up in somebody's business because they don't believe. What a great opportunity to go out and have lunch with them and to talk to them. This doesn't give us the right to be lazy, but maybe the Lord is purifying the church. You know, to say, to say Christianity is losing, to say the church is losing, well, that's to say God is going to lose. God doesn't lose. Like, he, he just so you know, at the end here, we'll go to the end, he wins. I know, <laughs> now you can't see the movie. God wins. And a time like this in our churches and a time like this in our culture is not surprising to the Lord. He is a sovereign. And he sees it and he knows it. And so as people maybe leave or don't believe in the truth anymore, it should, it should sadden us. It should sadden us like deep in our hearts. And we just don't like wave goodbye, ta-ta. But we pray for them. We talk with them. And we ask them to reconsider. And, and we go to, to the revelation of God and we could show them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would enlighten and enliven your words as you speak to them. But it's, it's, it's not the end of the church. You know when the church ends? The church ends when the glory of Jesus Christ is revealed to the entire world. That's when it ends, but it doesn't end there. It's the new beginning. Now, I would say that we, we should be embracing the difficulties we encounter as a faith community. As this church was going through some tough times, and they were confused that we would embrace the difficulties. Because the difficulties in church has been going on for thousands of years. It's nothing new. Nothing new. Martin Luther said that where God builds a church, the devil builds a chapel. Where God builds a church, the devil builds builds a chapel. But this is what I'm going to tell you. No matter what, no matter what, we will stand on the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That he was fully God, that he was fully man, that he went to the cross and he is the only way to the Father. That is the truth of the gospel and we will not deviate from it. We will not water it down. We will not make it easier so people can believe. We will not make it more palatable. We will not make it more gentle. I do not care if the gospel offends. Now, I care if you people offend because let the gospel be offensive, not you. Present the truth. You don't have to win and you don't always have to be right. Well, you are right if you present the gospel. 
I don't care if the gospel offends because it's the truth of who Jesus Christ is. The most important thing for any church, the most important thing for any church is to understand that it's Jesus and him alone. And all good things flow from that foundation. All good things flow from that foundation. Um, what's his name? John Piper, and I'm going to mess this up. He, he said this, this one phrase. He said, he said, the church exists for worship. He said, missions exist in churches because there's a lack of worship. Because we don't focus on the one thing to worship God. To worship Christ in truth. And the, but if, if we can get that, man, this, this all just, it takes care of itself. Everything takes care of itself. And so the most important thing for us is to stay grounded in the truth, the gospel, Jesus Christ, forever and ever. Amen. I love you guys. I will see you next week.